everybody sometimes too, you know, it's, it's always a good thing is they're like, hey, what's your occupancy percentage? You know, that's, that's the most common thing. And I'm like, well, that's only half the equation because revenue is made up of two things, average daily rate and occupancy, which both I can manipulate. If I want 100% occupancy, I could charge 89 bucks a night for our sweet five bed with a mini golf and pickleball. And guess what? I'll be booked every night of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna make any money. At the same time, I could be egotistical, like, man, I'm not charging anything less than 2000 a night. And I could be a 40% occupancy. So there's a sweet spot and it's never known per property. Um, but it's really finding where that, that magic is, where you're not charging too much that you're too vacant. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth. But why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. Taylor Jones with TechFester is on the podcast today. Taylor is the head of acquisitions for TechFester, and TechFester has acquired over 120 Airbnbs in the last 19 months as they scale their portfolio. Uh, and so this is our first you know, uh, Airbnb or short-term rental episode, so excited for it. Welcome, Taylor. Appreciate it. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, and we met uh, a couple weeks ago out in Santa Monica at the, the Reconvene uh, real estate Twitter conference, basically. Um, have you have you gone to that before? That was the first one I had gone to. Yeah, I'd gone last year, so this was the second one that I went to. Okay, nice. Yeah, I thought the the speakers were really good, and then uh, it was probably the first kind of conference type thing I went to where like the food was actually good, and it was kind of kind of fun. So. Yeah, they do it right. They they definitely bring in good food, good speakers. Um, uh, you know it's definitely a different mood this year versus last year. You know, you could tell in the whole, you know, commercial real estate or general real estate as a whole, um, you know, people weren't as gung ho and uh, happy and, uh, you know, a little less smile. So that, that was something year over year I saw was, you know, there was less of the, that going on. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I mean, there's not as many deals happening. And then a lot of people that have, uh, you know, the people dealing with higher interest rates and low deal flow and lots, you know, lots of trouble depending on what they're investing in. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Picked up on that. And yeah, that's what I mean. A lot of the conversations were around that too. Like how much cap rates have moved or interest rates and uh, where before, yeah, it's probably more just kind of people trying to predict, I bet if it's going to, is this just a blip with the fed raising rates and well, let's go back to what we were or whatever. So yeah, I was, was, was picking up on that too. So, but yeah, I think why well, don't um, just kind of, let's start with the basics. So then what, how, what is a short-term rental? Yeah. So, I mean, a short-term rental is anything, you know, technically that you're renting for 29 days or less. Um, there's kind of this new midterm category. So midterm rentals and, and that's, you know, 31 to 180. And then obviously I think anything 181 days or longer, you would fall into short-term rental. So, or into long-term rental, uh, apologies. So, you know, with the short-term rentals, it's those, you know, one, two, three, seven, ten, anything kind of sub 27 night stays, um, you know, for a property. And are you guys doing midterm rentals or you try to keep it all under that, uh, initial? 
Yeah, we're all short-term rentals. Um, so, you know, we're laser focused. Um, I don't think it's a bad strategy. Um, it's just a slightly different one. Um, for us, we're just hyper-focused on short-term rentals. Um, so, you know, we, we really know the metrics and the data for that very well. But I have seen some people who have focused on those midterm rentals and, you know, had some really successful numbers. Okay, nice. Yeah, and what would you say then, um, like what's what's some of the more appealing aspects of short-term rentals? Like why are people doing this versus long-term rentals? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, you know, the biggest one was yield. Everybody got in for the insane yields that, that these things spit out. Now, those have obviously kind of subdued a little bit, you know, with everything going on, supply increases and, and cost of debt is, is just more expensive. I also think it's usability. You know, if you own an industrial building, it's not like you're going to go over there for the night with a sleeping bag and your to-go kit and, and go post up in your 10 by 10 box. You know, whereas a short-term rental, you get that usability. So I think having all those aspects, it really brings it in and makes it an appealing opportunity for people. So then saying like a lot of individuals that, that do a few of these, like they, one of the benefits in their mind is they're going to be using it for a part of the year. Yeah, no, certainly. And that's a huge thing is, Hey, can I, you know, you, you see a lot of different camps. It's, um, you know, can I get this for free in essence? So, Hey, pays for itself. Maybe you don't make any money on it, but Hey, you have a free vacation. You get in principle pay down a spot for your, you know, you can hold this for the next 30 years and you, your family can go use it. You know, then there's some that look for, you know, Hey, Still want to use it, but I want to eke out a small profit. And then the third camp, you know, which is where we fall is pure investment. You know, we don't use any of the assets. They're, you know, full-time rentals uh, from that regard. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, my, my girlfriend is in the camp of like, let's get one and uh, then we can also use it. Um, but I, I think it's, I, I always am like, well, I think the the sweet spot is where you, you have enough money to like, just have the the second house and you can just leave all your stuff out. Um, cause one thing I always wonder, and you'd be the person to ask about this is like, I just assume like, okay, I'd have to pretty much lock up all my stuff, like in a closet, you know, you don't want to just leave your toothbrush out. Like that's obvious. So you need a owner's closet or room, but then like, how long does the furniture last with these? Cause you're, you're, you know, obviously the owner is the most gentle on everything. I mean, everyone who stayed at a hotel, like you're not as, not as careful <laughs> in that room, uh, you know, as your own room. So how long does like furniture last and what's the wear and tear like? Yeah, that's definitely the biggest thing, um, you know, compared to long-term rentals, overall maintenance on the physical property is going to be less because, you know, when you really think about it, you know, most short-term rentals are probably going to be anywhere from, you know, 60 to 80% if you're a full-time rental. So it's a vacant for, you know, 30% of the year per se. So from that regard, you're not getting as much general wear and tear. And on top of that, even when people are staying, a lot of them are out, you know, going on nature hikes, going to the national park in town. So they're really just there to sleep, maybe eat. They're not really there all that often. Um, but when they are there, they're utilizing the heck out of the furniture. So that is the one thing that gets beat up. Um, you know, it's that delicate balance of getting, you know, high quality furniture, but at a good price. So, so we're always fighting that battle of, you know, do we just go cheaper and just know that, Hey, we're just going to have to replace this every one to three years, or do we try to spend more eke out maybe three to five years with it? But you know, it's, it's that never ending battle and, and we're constantly making tweaks and adjustments, but yeah, definitely furniture gets beat up for sure. But yeah, you'd say most, most furniture is like a one to a three year kind of thing. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Cause that's, I, uh, yeah, I could see also, I mean, if it'd be tough to go, you know, with too nice of furniture cause just one stain can kind of do it in, you know, even if it was, you know, better quality. So yeah, never fun to get the, uh, <laughs> oh, the red wine spills or the, uh, yeah. the ketchup and mustard hot dogs from the kids. Yeah. Those are, those are never great, uh, great calls to hear from the property management team. Yeah. Cause, and then on the, uh, so we yeah, one to three years typically on furniture, then what, um, 
does what about the stuff that you guys provide like i uh like hangers and different stuff like that is what's how often does that go missing let's say yeah i mean there's always some level of like you know you put 20 hangers in the closet and you know after a year you're like we're down to 15 and you know there's just that natural there and on the flip side though you'll see accumulation of things and and so what i mean by that is you'll start you might leave guests like some olive oil some salt pepper you know and then all of a sudden six months later you've got paprika cayenne pepper garlic uh you know like you got a full (laughs) spray some some montreal seasoning so you know for every guest that maybe takes a hanger or takes a roll of toilet paper all of a sudden people just leave stuff and um you know obviously if it's perishable like you know half use ketchup we're we're throwing that away but if it's you know non-perishable stuff that future guests can use you know we'll just leave it in there for for everybody else to enjoy yeah that's what i've noticed like now when i go somewhere i'm usually will check and see like what's the coffee situation before buying anything because usually they already have the filters there and then someone bought you know a full thing of coffee and then was there for three days and still got a a week's worth of coffee in the in the cabinet um and i stayed at another i stayed at one in phoenix where they um all the hangers were taken that's why i had that the hanger question where in the stuff when i messaged the 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 host property manager whatever he was like you're sure you've looked everywhere we just had all these nice every closet was full of like nice wood hangers and i was like yeah i'm not kidding there's no hangers in this whole house so well, and that's the balance too. If you put some of those like accessory things that you're providing to guests, if you go too nice with like the wood hangers versus the plastic, yeah, you invite people to maybe take them with them. Um, so you know, again, you don't want to put cheap stuff in there, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to put too expensive that you know risk getting stolen. So there's there's this you know it's kind of an art form. You know, we say when you're actually operating these these hospitality businesses, which is really what they are at the end of the day that you got to find that balance of, you know, good quality, but yet, you know, not going to entice somebody to maybe take it from you. Yeah. I think he, he learned his lesson. He, he came back from target with this, those, the, the plastic ones where it wasn't, you know, not, not the metal thin ones, but where, you know, the, the plastic ones, so that's yeah. the right balance. They're still nice enough, but you know, not, you don't need to put uh, a 10 cent hanger in your uh, luggage. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Then what would you recommend people do? Uh, and I'm curious what you guys do. What sort of the, the shortest stay you guys will take on? So we personally won't do anything under two nights. Um, it's also the type of product we have. You know, we typically have larger homes, these three, four, five, six bedroom homes, accommodate groups. Um, you know, it's rare for a group to go in for a one night stay um, unless quote unquote, it's a party. So yeah. um, typically if you do have a larger home and you allow one night stays, you are inviting parties, you know, which is a risk just we don't take. So so we're a two night minimum. If you have those smaller, like one, one condo type units um, and you'll get maybe somebody in town or it's a layover, it's right before the flight. Um, I see a lot of those allow one night stays. You're obviously competing in the hotel space, you know, at that point. Um, but for us, we're two night minimum and that's kind of the space that we play in. What's the, what would you say is the average booking length then? Uh, for us, we're right around 3.2, 3.4 nights. That's, that's really where we fall. You know, you'll typically obviously Friday, Saturday, Sunday is a, a very common booking. You know, we'll get a lot of Thursday to Sunday, um, you know, Friday to Monday, some midweek stuff. So, um, right now our average floats somewhere between 3.2 and 3.4 nights booked. Okay, nice. And yeah, you guys are mostly doing um you're we didn't get into what get didn't get into what Techfester is doing exactly yet, but you guys have um maybe why don't you tell us about the properties you guys you guys are buying? 
Yeah, you know, it's a lot of, um, you know, typically three, four, five bedroom, six bedroom homes. You know, we do own some ones and twos when, when the data looks good. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's mashing our avatar. So if we're in a family focused market, we're going to buy those larger, you know, three, four, five, six bedroom homes that'll accommodate eight to 16 guests, um, whether it's one large family or two or three getting together. Um, so that's typically what we're doing for our accommodations. And, and that's what kind of lends to, you know, what we do. And it's really figure out who our guest avatar is. And we're going to kind of, you know, design and amenitize that property to fit it. And how do you how do you figure out the avatar? Um, you know, so it's really just looking looking at the data, looking at the comps. Um, so you're seeing, you know, who is that traveler? What's nearby? You know, obviously, like the, the obvious example is, you know, if you're investing near Disney, um, you know, clearly that's, you know, it's family focused. If you're investing near, um, you know, like a, a sports stadium or something, you might get, you know, groups of friends or, you know, dudes. If you're investing near a hospital, you might get, you know, mom and dad visiting if somebody was sick or, you know, husband, wife. Um, so it's really just figuring out like what, you know, what brings people to that location, um, you know, studying, seeing, looking at the data and those are things that we'll figure out when, whenever we go into a new market. And do you guys uh, like pick like a theme or have some of these, I've seen some of these, I've never stayed in one, but you know, you go, it's like the, whatever, the pink house or something like, would you guys go that far with it or what are you doing? Yeah, we've, we've, we've done a couple of them. Um, so, you know, what's great with our scale is, is we can, you know, test things out based on the data. So, you know, we do have like a pink, uh, you know, Barbie ish house. I know you can't, uh, you know, say that without getting in trouble, but yeah. it's a, as, as much a pink, uh, you know, Barbie esque house as possible. We lean into, you know, groups of women staying at that house. Traditionally, we have a sports theme, uh, you know, we'll call it a dude's house per se. Um, you know, tons of, you know, to sleep up to 16 dudes, you know, huge, uh, five, six bedroom house with, Everything from poker tables, miniature golf, pickleball, basketball, um, you know, bowling, game room, um, you know, and everything under the sun to, to truly accommodate the, you know, the boys weekend per se. So we have leaned into some of those specialized groups and then, you know, just a ton of, uh, you know, families, uh, family stays, uh, playgrounds, game rooms, amenities, um, you know, less individual theme, but just awesome amenities, great design. Um, that's kind of our core bread and butter. But, you know, the good news is, you know, we can always test things out if we think the data looks good and, um, you know, we're, we're right, uh, more often than not. Nice. Yeah. That's no, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how are you guys setting your, your rental rates? And I guess, what would you recommend? Yeah. People do for that. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, there's a lot of dynamic pricing tools out there. So, you know, kind of when this, this asset class started, you know, people would do, okay, I charge, $99 for Monday to Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I charge, you know, $199. And, uh, you know, we call that flat rate pricing. And then the industry kind of evolved, I don't know, four, five, six years ago. And people start bringing in algorithms based on demand. It's like, oh, well, maybe on Christmas weekend, you should charge more. Or, oh, there's this concert in town, you should charge more. And so a lot of these algorithms are picking up on when there's surges in demand, there's more people searching, and they're telling you, hey, you should increase your prices this weekend. There's a lot of cool tools you can use. Um, you know, we have gone even further and we've built our own kind of algorithms and software on top of those. We've kind of felt that they don't fully go far enough. I think they're great if you're the common investor, you don't want to keep up with it. You're not, you know, making adjustments every day um, like we are. Um, some of those great dynamic pricing tools are really good. They can build, you know, some baseline algorithms for you to at least get you, you know, slightly above average revenue for your properties. And what, which ones have you, have you liked? Like I, um, yeah, some of the big players are Price Labs and Wheelhouse. Um, so those are some of the, you know, beyond pricing. Those are the three kind of main ones that most people use. Okay, nice. What do people use uh, AirDNA for? 
I think I have that. Yeah, so that's that's one of the larger data aggregators. So when, when you're looking at a potential property and you're like, man, what does occupancy look like? What is average daily rate? What is revenue? Um, you're going to want to pull in, you know, kind of data comps from the area. So places like AirDNA, places like Rabu, um, you know, are a couple of the larger data aggregators. So what you'll be able to do is go on there and see the Airbnb listing itself. Um, it'll give you directionally correct data. Nothing's exact. Um, you know, so what I mean by that is a lot of them are kind of scraping the, Air, the Airbnb calendar. So like an example, that would be, you know, if uh, tomorrow uh, on Friday, the property is listed at 250 a night um, and the um, algorithm checks tomorrow and it's booked, it's going to assume it got booked for 250 a night. Now, the owner could have offered a discount. The owner could have blocked it for themselves. So they didn't actually make that 250 a night. So that's why we always say they're directionally correct, but they're never perfect. Um, but it'll at least give you a solid idea of what occupancy looks like, what rough, you know, average daily rates look like, um, and potential revenue. So you can understand, is this, you know, a good acquisition or not? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I was looking at potentially taking, uh, couple of units that were slow to rent uh in chicago and just being like let's just turn those into, into airbnbs and so we yeah i got it was an estimate on the the night the the average nightly rate and then um average daily rate and then the occupancy then i think i had asked them for a pro forma like what we'd be looking at for expenses and then i never got any further than that we needed to like get on a, oh man we needed I, to get I on wish a... we know each other man <laughs> i, I would have helped you out uh yeah we've had a, i've had a couple of multi had a, had a guy out of atlanta a guy in new orleans you know reach out as well I'm like hey like what if we just you know converted the the bottom 10 units or the first floor or something you know can we get like you know 2x 3x the quote unquote you know instead of 1500 can we get 3000 3500 a month obviously that's going to really juice the noi on, on your property and, and help out so um, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of owners do that where they segregate part of the building um, and dedicate them to short-term rentals or even mid-term rentals if they're, you know, near a hospital or something like that. You get a traveling nurse um, and you do a lot of those, you know, 30 to, you know, 90-day stays per se. Yeah, it and it really depends on, yeah, what kind of lender you're using because, you know, some of them, they, they uh, on the multifamily side, they don't let you do that. Like it's explicitly in the Fannie and Freddie loan docs. They don't want that. Um, or at least they don't want, uh, and they don't want you to rent to entities. It has to be to people. So then I didn't, I didn't get very far with it. Cause I was like, seems like I'd have to rent it myself. Then, um, then now I'm exposing myself to like liability cause I did it. I have to do it in my name, you know, or then I'm not following the rules exactly with my loan. But if you have a bank loan, like, yeah, that makes total sense. And a, a number of our deals in, uh, Phoenix, we just have bank loans on them. And then those, that's, uh, obviously, a a market you guys are in and uh you know there's a lot of a lot of people that ask us about if they could do you know they always they always have the same story they hit us up and they say that they're doing you know traveling nurses you know and then they'll supplement it with it being on airbnb <laughs> and it's like you know they're they're just doing airbnb which you know that that's fine if you know that's what you're getting yourself into so we you know and those are like 20 or 30 unit buildings so we've been okay with like one or two units doing that um but we never, we haven't brought that in house. We've just rented it to them at a slight premium to what the others are paying. And just let them do it themselves. So, cause those also are, they're one and two bedroom units. So it's a lot different than what you guys are doing. So, and it seems like the margins are, were thin when I was looking at what they were getting. So, yeah, certainly if you are doing those, those one and twos, you, you have to be razor, razor focused on the operations because, um, there's just less to play with. So a, a 5% dip in OPEX hurts you a lot more than on a four bedroom house per se. Yeah. What would be, a, um, I guess kind of going through maybe then underwriting. So I got that, you know, let's say I would have wanted to 
pursue that further or i mean potentially I, I might but it's like i have the air dna estimates for annual revenue what would you do then to those those revenue numbers if you're me you think those are close enough or you like to have like a an adjustment you make or yeah it's a great question so um i i never you know we never take the what's there and i always tell people don't take it at face value but more or less look at the comps because if they're forming an average of five comps or six comps well, well you want to see what are you closely aligned to um you know it might it might pull in stuff that has a pool and you don't it might pull in stuff that has a gym and you don't um so those are going to skew your your kind of average up or down so i'm going to really actually dive into the comps and kind of form my own average if half of them have pools and half of them don't i'm going to kind of exclude the one that i don't fit per se so i want to try to find the properties that are the closest to me and get at least three to five of those and then i'll kind of build my own like calculations like okay based on this the average is you know 72 percent occupancy um you know sixty-seven thousand dollars a year in gross revenue so once I kind of have my numbers down from, you know, top line, then you're just going to work through your expenses. You're going to have, you know, debt service, um, you know, is obviously always going to be there in some way, shape or form. And then you'll just go through all the other, you know, operating expenses that are necessary for a short term rental, you know, things like utilities, maintenance costs, household supplies, like toilet paper, shampoo, um, you know, the Wi-Fi, um, cleaning, anything else that you're going to do that, that it takes to operate that you know, hospitality business, that's going to go in there. There's, if you Google, there's a ton of like free underwriting templates online. Um, it's really just like, you know, user preference, customer preference, you know, we've built our own, we've, you know, made renditions to it as we see fit. But for the most part, there's those same, you know, eight to 12, depending on your property expenses, you know, snow removal, you know, in Maine, but probably not in Florida on your underwriting or, um, you know, pool cleaning in Florida, but probably not in Maine, um, you know, on the flip side. So, you know, like I said, there's going to be a common like eight to 12, you know, line items that you're going to see um, you know, utilities, maintenance, household supplies, Wi-Fi, et cetera. Um, and, and so you'll just go in and look at what is market Wi-Fi, you know, 99 a month, 149, whatever it might be. Uh, what is utilities, you know, roughly here on a 2000 square foot house or a, you know, one, one, 500 square foot, you know, apartment. Um, so you just go through and plug in those in and then ultimately it'll tell you like, Hey, is this going to run in the negative? Um, is, this, is there any free cash flow left? Um, and then from there you can assess, is it worth it or not based on what you're trying to achieve? Let's keep going on the expense side. Cause I think when I first started in apartments, that was where, you know, and I had did not own any deals. Like now there was, I was able to cobble together estimates and it, it worked out fine, but it was, I feel like it's, it was easier to estimate my costs being the landlord of a duplex versus running an Airbnb just because like I didn't, I wasn't paying for what was going on inside really. So then like just to kind of run through the cost, like taxes. I mean that, um, you know, you, you, uh, or I guess, why don't you tell us what you do? I was gonna say what I do. So <laughs> well, let's just run through them all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, go, going through there. So, so you'll have insurance. Um, and typically, you know, if it's a single family home, um, or, or, or some asset, you're going to have, um, you know, regular home insurance. Um, then on top of it, you're going to have things like short-term rental insurance. You know, you are running a hospitality business, so there'll be some extra liability mixed in. Um, and then there could be additional riders that, that you could elect to take, like loss of income. Uh, what if your place gets hit by a hurricane and you're offline for two months and you have all these canceled bookings? you can file a loss of income rider and get reimbursed for those, which is really great. So obviously it increases your premium, but it gives you that, you know, hey, just in case, or, you know, like personal experience, had one of our cabins up north, the, the pipes froze. And when they thawed out, the ice punctured a hole, end up flooding the basement. You know, it's like three inches of water down there. So the game room, the LVP flooring, all gone. 
had to cancel like $2,800 worth of bookings. Um, took about 10 days offline. Um, but what's great is we filed that loss of income rider. Insurance company sends a check for $2,800, sent over the receipt for all the all the lost bookings. And then you file regular homeowner's insurance for the LVP, the couch, the air hockey table that got damaged. Um, and, and that stuff gets replaced. So, so that's kind of how that's treated from the insurance side. You know, taxes are going to be assessed at whatever the, you know, state or local, you know, thing, whether it's, you know, a state that reassess every year, uh, every eight years. Uh, that, that's always very generous when you could sneak in there and uh, yeah. buy something that's got seven years left before reassessment. Um, you know, so you have taxes. Um, you'll have utilities, which you always it's always more than you think. And, you know, if you have a 2000 square foot house and you're like, oh, well, my you know electric bill is normally 300 a month. You got to understand the first thing you do and you think about this yourself personally when you go into to a hotel you crank the air down to 60 degrees and so does every airbnb guest so your utility bill will always run one and a half to three x what it is i mean we have some three four five six bedroom houses that, that might run into four figures a month um you know for that so you know you got to be you know it's also too does it have a pool other amenities um is it arizona when it's 110 degrees in summer all, all those factors so um you're gonna have that you obviously have, you know, some of the, the basic CapEx stuff, potentially, you know, the furniture, um, HVAC, water heater, et cetera. Um, you know, just understanding the life, the life, um, you know, livelihood of how much those have left, uh, the expected life. You'll also have just general maintenance. Um, so every month you might run into, hey, the hot tub's not working. You got to pay a service call to have a handyman go out there and, you know, fix it. Sometimes guests are not the brightest in the world, which kind of sucks because you're, you're paying that money. Sometimes it's legitimately broken. Um, sometimes it's a, they don't understand how to work a hot tub or a TV remote or, or start the fireplace, whatever it might be. So you'll have general maintenance. Um, household supplies, you're, you're restocking shampoo, toilet paper. Um, you know, we always provide coffee for all the guests. Um, so, you know, things like that, um, detergent, shampoo, you know, you know, the long list of things that, that are necessary to stock a house. So when you really start like going through, you know, you, you'll want to use reference points. There's definitely um, great stuff online as, as kind of like general guides. But, you know, I always say you got to look at it from not like your perspective of being in a home, but more or less, what is it happening in the in a vacation market? And, you know, what do people do when they're on vacation? No, yeah, that's great. And I think, too, then if let's say you're getting because um, the, the houses you guys buy are larger. So trying like but you guys, would you still look at like a 2000 square foot, three, four bedroom house? Or are you on a is that in your sweet spot or yeah no that, that that's pro probably actually where where most of our stuff is is in that two to 2800 square foot range um that, that's our bread and butter i think we own as small as 600 square feet and as high as 5000 square feet um but if you put it on a bell curve we probably fall right in that 22 2400 square foot range um is is pretty much probably our average uh buy Okay, nice. Yeah, I see the the bigger ones then on on Twitter and and wherever and LinkedIn because then he's, those seem to get more yeah. pull than the non sexy uh, seven hundred and eighty square foot two with like a nice design doesn't quite move the needle. Unfortunately, uh, uh, most of what I post is the bigger, larger, more over the top stuff because that that'll get run. Not the uh, oh, check out this twelve hundred <laughs> square foot three two with a fire pit and yeah, the cost basis was great and it's cash flowing double digit yield just doesn't quite move the needle so so that doesn't get any run on social media unfortunately <laughs> sounds like my post yeah that's uh <laughs> here's a here's the uh bread and butter apartment deal we're doing well on it's like yeah that's uh that's great you gotta let you get like your lender and attorney liking it um 
and then your mom basically but yeah that um well then so yeah let's say we're underwriting that three-bedroom house um then it comes through so that's you're you're going to underwrite the those additional uh insurance coverages like you guys take those it sounds like given yeah you know obviously it's a personal decision to take like the loss of income rider or some of those add-ons that you can um you know if if um, i think most lenders will require like a, a million dollar liability some people want to elect for two so you know you got to find where your comfort level is um you know as an operator and, and what you want to take on so so we'll, we'll put all those in and um you know typically like napkin math and obviously this can vary you know heavily by market and by product type but assuming you're, you're a single family home three to five beds uh typically what you're going to see for opex is maybe as low as 30 percent and as high as you know 45 percent um so you know real example on a hundred thousand dollar property uh, $100,000 in, in gross revenue, um, single family home in that range, you'll probably have operating expenses that'll run anywhere from 30 to 45,000 um, on there. The only other things that are missing from that is, is there a property management fee? So are you self-managing it or hiring somebody? So that would be tacked on in addition. And then the last thing you'll have is debt service. Um, but that'll typically get you to where your NOI will be. If you go dabble in those ones and twos, you, you can obviously get into the mid twenties. You can get some 25, 28% OPEX. So again, if you know, a one or a two beds generating, you know, 50 K in, in gross revenue, um, you, you could be somewhere in that, you know, 15 K 18 K for, for total OPEX, uh, you know, and again, that's every expense except debt service and, uh, property management. If, if there is any. And when you said uh, your hundred thousand a revenue example, was that that is of a uh, gross potential rent, or that's after the vacancy? Uh, that that's that's total collected dollars. So you know, everybody sometimes too, you know, it's, it's always a good thing. Is they're like, hey, what's your occupancy percentage? You know, that's that's the most common thing. And I'm like, well, that's only half the equation because revenue is made up of two things: average daily rate and occupancy, which both I can manipulate. If I want a hundred percent occupancy. I could charge 89 bucks a night for our sweet five bed with a mini golf and pickleball. And guess what? I'll be booked every night of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to make any money. At the same time, I could be egotistical. Be like, man, I'm not charging anything less than 2000 a night. And I could be at 40% occupancy. So there's a sweet spot and it's never known per property. Um, but it's really finding where that, that magic is, where you're not charging too much that you're too vacant and not there. When you talk to a lot of the professionals in the space, um, what, what they'll typically tell you is that the math is going to fall somewhere between 72 and 82% occupancy. Now, again, there's outliers. Like if you have a lake house in Michigan, it's going to be hard to even run north of 62, 65% occupancy. And that's like humming because in the winter you're dead. There's no skiing, et cetera. Um, but if you have a more year round esque market, it, you know, to be really maximizing your revenue, you're really going to fall somewhere between 72 and 82. If you're more occupied, you're probably not charging enough. And if you're sitting there at 65, 67, you're, you're probably overcharging and leaving some money on the table. So for us, that's kind of the art form is maximizing the revenue. So when I talk about revenue, that, that is just total collected dollars, but that builds in whatever that level of vacancy is that happened for that property and for that market. Okay. So yeah. So if someone typed in on air dna or something would it be telling them on your hundred thousand example like it's uh we're getting one hundred and thirty-three thousand a year revenue then you're 25 percent vacancy then you're at a hundred thousand or what are people getting usually out of those those tools like they they need to know do they need to know that occupancy uh range themselves it'll, it'll, or? Get, it'll give them 
Well, no, it'll provide it for you based on the market. So it'll look at all the other three bedrooms and say, okay, hey, you know, the average is right here. Um, and then it'll take in some of the amenities. So if you have a pool, you're probably going to be more occupied. Or if you have a hot tub, you're probably going to ha have more occupancy just naturally on, on some of those things. So it's going to take all those into account. So when it gives you your revenue number, that's actually the revenue they're projecting based on this level of average daily rate and this level of occupancy based on the comps. So they're going to pull what the you know average competitors charging per night, what their vacancy is, and they're going to put the two together to give you a projected revenue. So if it tells you a hundred, it's truly a hundred. It's not like oh one thirty three with vacancy. It's just hey, you're probably going to be at seventy two seventy five percent occupancy. So obviously you'll have you know some that level of vacancy, and then based on that, your average daily rate is this. So you know again, if you have two out of the three, you can always backdoor into the third. If I have the revenue and the occupancy, I can tell you what the average daily rate is. If I have the average daily rate plus the occupancy, I can tell you what the revenue is. So as long as you have two out of three of the pieces, you can always backdoor into the third missing piece. But if somebody only asks about one piece, they're like, hey, what's your average daily rate? And I'm like, you're asking me for half the equation. It doesn't yeah. matter what my average daily rate is. What matters is my revenue. That's the money I'm making. My average daily rate is only half the equation, which again, I can manipulate based on my occupancy. <clears throat> so those are, those are kind of things from somebody you know, new that I hear, that's how it's like, ooh, you haven't been in this asset class before if you're asking that kind of question. So it's a really nice thing to learn if you're an outsider to the space. Yeah, because do people use RevPAR in the Airbnb world or? Yeah, no, well, especially yeah. when you have multiple units, um, you know, yeah, revenue per available uh, rental, um, RevPAN, revenue per available night. There's there's a lot of different ways to, to look at what you have. Um, it's ultimately what you're looking to achieve, um, you know, out of your property. Um, because sometimes too, maximizing revenue and maximizing profit don't go hand in hand. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, oh, if I just make the most revenue, not necessarily true. So it's really, there's different ways, you know, when you look at it. So it's, what's your ultimate goal? Are you purely based on yield? Are you purely based on filling it? Are you purely based on top line rev? Um, you know, so that's going to vary by the investor. Um, but that's going to ultimately be what metrics you're going to track and, and what you're going to benchmark up against. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Cause I know that's people use that in the hotel world. And I thought that kind of, that's, that's your, you know, rev par was your revenue, you know, per day on average, like factoring in, you know, vacancy, I thought, you know, so then they kind of at least figured out a, uh, a language to use that then factors that in, I think. So makes sense. Yeah, it's why. always good when you have, you know, a hundred rooms inside of a building, you, you need that metric. You can't, you know, if you have a standalone single family home, that <clears> metric's <throat> not going to give you as much data per se. Um, yeah. Cause you know, it's like revenue per available room. Well, you only have one room quote unquote to rent that house. You know, yes, it could be a four bedroom, but you're not subletting each one individually. So when you only have one property, it's not a, um, it's not a, it's not a metric, but in the hotel space, definitely. And operators who maybe own a dozen or more, um, some of them will track that as well. Okay, nice. And then they keep going to the expense side. So that was taxes, insurance, you know, you want to get quotes from your agent and then you guys are going with those additional coverages, then utilities, just you would for a plug number, just do three times what it would normally be. Yeah. If you want to be conservative, uh, yeah, if you want to be conservative, you know, cause I can take a, Hey, I live in a 2000 square foot house and mine is X, but, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're always going to probably be one and a half to three, depending on the area, depending on the product size, uh, for utilities, just cause again, first thing somebody does when they check in, crank that air down to 60 degrees, kick their feet off, drop their bags and, um, leave the windows open, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> just like, 
people are not that bright and or courteous. Uh, so, you know, those are, uh, those are things that are going to hurt you when you're underwriting utilities. You know, maintenance, depending on the property size, could run you anywhere from two to 600 a month. And again, that's a lot of those like service calls, small fixes. Um, if it falls into more large CapEx related, you would file that under CapEx. Um, you know, you'll also have your, your monthly services. So if you have lawn care, so if somebody's coming in to cut the lawn, if you have pool cleaning, um, so that'll be a line item, snow removal, um, trying to go through geographically what else you would you know, have in there. Pest control, um, you know, every quarter um, or every month. Um, I, I think most most of the ones we we have are quarterly, but um, yeah. So those are the things you're gonna you know really just start tacking on there. And those are those are fairly market rates. Not like you know pest controls anymore or you know whatever it costs to mow the grass for a you know primary resident is the same as a single family as a short term rental. Um, pool you know, cleaning say, could be more. Like pool cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pool cleaning could be more. They're like, hey, that's the filters clogged. We had to use extra chlorine because your guest uh, yeah. dirty the water. So. <laughs> Uh, if you have a hot tub too, um, so you'll have hot tub cleaning, um, you know, hot tub, um, you know, repairs, maintenance, so those will be extra. So, you know, it's really just like, what are those extra amenities that you, that you're putting in there? Um, you know, like even things for us when we add miniature golf, like, like we talked about with the hangers. Yeah. We might start and there's, you know, six golf balls, uh, for people to use. And all of a sudden you're like, man, there's, there's no more. And people are over here taking all the pro V ones and all the good yeah. stuff out. So, um, you know, you, you have to kind of underwrite for some, some loss there, um, under that for, you know, amenity replacement. Yeah. makes sense. And so then that's, that's maintenance. That's the contract services. Then what about turnover? How do you guys underwrite that? Cause also you have the cleaning fee revenue. Yeah, so that'll be um, that'll just fall under cleaning, um, you know. Really, so ultimately, when you get a bid for, you know, a turnover, the the, the cleaning is going to be you know comprised of two things. It's going to be cleaning the physical home plus the laundry, um, which is really just hours. Um, it does not take if if standard is checkout is ten a.m. and check in is you know three p.m. or four p.m. It doesn't take five to six hours to clean e even a three thousand square foot single family home. It does not. Um, most of that time is, is babysitting the laundry, you know, 45 minutes for the wash, 45 minutes for the dryer, but then you got the towels, then you got the, the king sheets, the queen sheets all there. So, you know, the, you're, you're really paying for that hourly time. It, it is a, I think a disruptive opportunity. And there is some people trying to disrupt it where you can actually separate laundry from cleaning because it'll cut down on your costs. Um, it's something we're exploring at the moment. I know there's a couple people trying to disrupt that. And I think whoever does figure it out can make a boatload of money because uh, it is ripe for exporting. It is your it is your biggest cost outside of debt service is, is the cleaning turnover piece. So if you can trim that 5%, 10%, 15%, it's, it's going to be huge um, for, for your NOI and, and your free cash flow. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll get that bid out from the cleaning company. So they'll be like, hey, you know, for us to come here for five to six hours to clean, do all the laundry of this four bedroom house, it's going to be, you know, whatever, 250. Um, you know, now what most people do is just, you know, direct pass through, um, they'll charge the guests 250. So they collect that 250. Um, so I guess technically it is collected revenue, you know, is how we look at it. Cause you are collecting it and then you'll get an invoice. So it turns around and goes right out the door as an expense. Um, some people mark it up, um, you know, maybe charge the guests 275 or something like that. In that example, you know, it, it's really, you know, you can't be way above market rate or nobody's going to book your place. If, if every other place is, you know, the cleaning fee is 175 or 200 a night and you're charging 275, 
I, I can tell you right now, you're probably not getting booked and you know, you're either overcharging or you need to find a new cleaning company if you're not marking it up. Um, cause clearly there's other people in the market who are able to do it for that lower rate, the 200 or the 250, whatever that quote was. So, um, you, you, you want to go look at your competitors. So look at your 10, 12 other closest listings. They're like, cool. What do all these have for cleaning fees? You know, 125, 150, 125, 100, 105, like, cool. We'll see where the blended average is. Go get some bids from cleaners in the area and, you know, hopefully try to stay within that realm. That's always what we're going to try to do is stay, you know, hopefully in the middle or the lower part, but we'll also pay more for, for better quality. So, you know, we'll typically fall in the middle or middle higher half, uh, just, you know, naturally, cause we want to pay, pay for better quality. And, and you, you like for a 2000, some square foot house, like $250 is about what it costs. Yeah, when you take into account, like, you know, um, making sure the hot tub's clean, um, making sure the amenities are, are lined up, the game room. So, um, yeah, like a standard four bed, 2,000-ish square foot, um, depending on where you're out in the country, some parts have cheaper labor. Um, you're probably going to be somewhere in that 225 to 275 range, depending on where in the U.S. you are. Okay, nice. Yeah, if I had to guess, I would have actually thought it would have been a little higher. And just because also... I'll explain why because of the, the timing too. like to get a house clean. That sounds totally reasonable with doing the laundry. But then, I mean, you guys got people cleaning on the weekends, holidays. It's just whenever they're moving out, they're uh, not moving out. They're 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 ending their stay like they're and they're checking out like then they're working that day. So then is there maybe there's there like a additional cost if this is a whatever you're turning it and it's a it's a holiday. No, I mean, um, I, I think that comes with the business, you know, that you, you'll probably, you know, uh, may, maybe have a guest checking in on Christmas or, or New Year's or, you know, whatever the holiday might be. I, I think that kind of comes with the territory. You know, a lot of the cleaning uh, business owners, they, they kind of know that. Um, the workers, you know, we try to take care of them if they're doing a good job, you know, you can give them a bonus, um, you know, uh, it's just, you know, the right thing to do with any of your business partners in, in any space, to be honest. But those are the things that um, I think just come with the territory. They understand it, that, hey, it, it happens. Same thing. Somebody has to work the grocery stores those days. Somebody has to work, you know, the, the guest communication. Somebody has to work. Um, there's just certain things that they don't close on those days, uh, regardless of what it is. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. And that, uh, and I guess, yeah, what are the ideas to disrupt that then? I mean, the, you can you can bring it off site, the laundry, or you got to get a second. Some of these houses, you guys. The high level overview is this. So let's just let's just use some round numbers there. So let's say the cleaning fee is two fifty for for five hours. So it's fifty bucks an hour is the time allotment for both the cleaning and babysitting the laundry. But it really probably only takes two and a half to three hours to actually do the cleaning. Now, depending on where in the country you're at, just a standard clean is probably anywhere from 20 to 25 bucks an hour. So even if you're like cool short-term rentals, they want a premium, let's do 30 bucks an hour. So 30 times three hours is, is 90 bucks. Now, when you take laundry, laundry, they'll typically charge you by the pound or by the bag. So they'll give you those laundry bags and you'll, you know, the cleaners would strip the sheets. Um, They'll take it off site and then they'll bring it back like on the next turnover, they'll drop it off at your facility or whatever if you have density in the market. Laundry, from what I've heard, can run anywhere from you know thirty to forty dollars a bag. So if you've got two or three bags full, all of a sudden you go, okay, I was um, let's see, so thirty dollars an hour times three, so we were ninety bucks in. If I ran three bags, I'd say you know thirty bucks a bag is another ninety. I'm all in one eighty. Well, I just saved seventy dollars right there. So you can do now one of two things with that. So a if the market will still bear two fifty for a cleaning fee, you could charge two fifty, and now you have a seventy dollar spread that you've now made, which is huge. 
Or what you can do is start to lower, say, to 225, 200, make your property more appealing. And now you can juice more bookings, which again is going to drive more revenue and drive more to the bottom line. So you can, you, you see is when you trim that cost, you have more opportunities available to you. So I think whoever can figure that out. And again, there's a couple groups out there that are doing this. Um, again, it's such a new asset class compared to multifamily, self-storage, industrial, et cetera, um, that a lot of these nuances are still being evolved in real time. And that I think is a huge opportunity. So, you know, we are looking at that as an option to be able to cut down on, you know, what is our biggest expense and that's cleaning and, and turnover and laundry. Um, so if we can save that money, drive more bookings, it's ultimately going to lead to a better yield for, for both us and our investors. Nice. Have you guys, uh, what about having a second set of laundry machines in the property? You guys looked at that? Yeah, no, we, we've started doing that for our bigger ones that sleep 16, 20 people. Um, <laughs> I mean, even then, as crazy as it is when you have, you know, eight, that, that's going to automatically get you eight to 10 total beds, you know, and you got sheets, uh, you know, blankets, uh, towels for 16 to 20 people. Uh, you got swimming pool towels, the kitchen towels, you know, clean up around there, the face towels, the makeup removal, even with two washers and two dryers. Yeah, it's still going to push you three to four hours. Like, yeah, maybe it's not five and you trim a little off, but like, it's still a ton. So yeah, for our bigger properties, we have started looking at, okay, we need two washers and two dryers. Yeah. So I mean, that makes um, sense. You guys need a, yeah, you need a laundromat next door on that one. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, it, it, it looks very appealing to be like, man, we, if we just owned a laundromat, we could be in a, in a good position. So yeah. don't, uh, don't, don't tempt me with a good opportunity here. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's funny. Then, okay, I think those are all the costs, except then what should somebody, because, yeah, we got we went through all, all the uh, OPEX, except what should somebody assume for uh, replacing items then? Because now I, we went through contract services, R&M, cleaning. I think the only one left is, because how, how do you guys underwrite that? That's uh, hitting the cash flow at least. Yeah, so, yeah. so I mean, if you, if you have a $2,000 sectional in the living room and, and you're gonna assume, you know, a two to three year lifespan, you could just kind of amortize that out. Obviously, you know, it might break in year one, but it might not. But if you kind of amortize that, you know, quote unquote, over the two to three year horizon, you know, looking at like a dining room table, you'll probably get, you know, probably honestly, you know, assume the cleaners are taking care of it. Guest isn't like burning it and putting a, a ha you know, a stain on it that, that can't be cleaned off and you've got a sealer on it. I mean, that thing will probably still last you four or five years. So I think it's looking at all of those and, and saying, okay, even with extra wear and tear, what, what's kind of the lifespan of this, the, the chairs, the, um, the bed frames, the beds themselves, um, you know, sheets and towels, uh, you know, the, those you're going to, uh, be replacing, um, you know, at least, uh, you know, stuff will get ruined. Um, you'll be replacing. We always stock the house with plenty of extras. Um, you know, we do out of the get, so we do three sets of backups. So for this King bed, we'll have the set of sheets that's on it. And then we'll have two backups, um, in the, you know, owner's closet. If we sleep 15 and it's, you know, one towel per guest, we'll have 45 towels there. Um, you know, pool towels. So we triple everything. We've just learned it's just better to kind of build that into your upfront stocking cost. And then it can kind of run you, you know, it definitely covers you through the first year and into the second. It's also just good to have on hand. You, you don't want to be like, well, three towels got lost, stolen or ruined. And now the next day we don't have enough. They, they're not clean. And now three people are sharing towels. Just not a great experience overall. So for us, just pay more upfront, you know, it's kind of our belief. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that'll increase your, you know, upfront stand up costs, but ultimately it's just better in the long run in, in our opinion. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And so if you have, let's say though, if you're looking just at that house, uh, I would assume you're not you're not making a schedule for all these individual items, how you're breaking out. You just have already like a rule of thumb. Like I know we're spending X dollars a year replacing stuff on average. And then what's what's that number? Like, what are you typing in? Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, anywhere from 2,500 to, you know, five grand. Um, I also think too, you know, you can model it different ways. Some people will, will put an upfront reserve, you know, which is, you know, what we do. So if you're like, cool, I've, I've set aside 25,000 in reserves, you could also pull from that and then just restock. So if you needed to replace that section for two grand, now you're down to 23,000, then you could replenish your reserve and then, and then again, start pulling your cash flows above that. So depending on how you operate, depending on how you run your, you know, your P&L and your, and your business, I've seen a lot of people do it different ways. Okay. So yeah, that's how you guys like to do it with the reserve. And then are you does the reserve also cover that upfront stocking or that's separate? The reserve is starting once everything's rolling. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll allocate the reserve upfront. Um, and then from there, everything will be rolling, but our, you know, standard stocking when it's like, okay, we need a set of, you know, kitchen pots and pans. We need a coffee maker. So you'll have your standard, like you need these to get the house listed. Um, when it comes to sheets, towels, linens, we just triple it. So that's just kind of bad. We used to double it. We've realized like, you know, again, that first guest or that first issue, yeah. they might, you know, wreck your, your towels or, or take them or something. Um, it's just better to have three. So, um, you know, again, if you're an individual investor, maybe you only do two. Um, I think at the level we operate at, it's just, it's just so much more worth it for us to do three. And then if someone is using a third party management company, what should they assume? Yeah, I mean, it. you'd have to look at your contracts. So some management companies include um, linens and, and sheets and towels and stuff in their fee. Some don't. They'll, they'll do just a direct pass-through. So they'll manage it for you. They'll order it on your behalf, but it's ultimately getting on your charge. So you would really want to look at what services they provide. Um, you know, definitely the, the management side is very fragmented. There's so many different ways to, you know, um, do it. There's so many different like packages that are being put together. So because it's so fragmented, it really depends on, you know, what your local market has available and, and what people are doing and what you're ultimately going to pay for and sign up. Okay. Is there like a rule, like a range that people you want to expect? Like, cause, uh, I mean, I guess I've, it's more than just regular, you know, multifamily cause this is a 24 seven responding to even small stuff like i'm missing a sponge or my hangers are stolen um what what would you assume let's say i'm just i'm underwriting this or let's say that company i talked to they quote me let's say their quote was 15 percent of the revenue what what do you think of that um that's gonna be on the lower end so market rate right now is between 20 and 30 um you know that has been coming down it used to be between 25 and 35 um you know, naturally everything kind of settles TVs, you know, flat screen TVs, uh, you know, the, the used to be, you know, a thousand dollars. Now you can get one for, you know, 200 bucks for a 50 inch. So like everything, it'll settle with, um, you know, competition, the free market. Um, in my opinion, it probably ultimately settles somewhere in that like 16 to 24% range. When you model out an actual profitable business, it's really hard to get underneath that. There is groups that do charge less. It could be, you know, one-off Johnny who's just managing 20, 30. That's his full-time job. He has one or two assistants. Like, like anything, there's, you know, Billy who cuts the grass. He's going to be the cheapest guy in town, but it's actually Billy who cuts the, your grass yeah. um, versus, you know, ABC Lawn Care who has this huge conglomerate you know, they have more costs. Um, so, so it's kind of finding that balance in the marketplace, but that's where it is today. It's 20 to 30. So if you've got a quote for 15, you're, you're probably on the, on the lower half. Um, that's going to be more, you know, individual owner, um, or localized. 
Um, I, I do see it continuing to come down. And like I said, even at the corporate rate, I think it will settle somewhere between that 18 and 24%. Right now it's between 20 and 30. Okay, nice. Yeah, they, I wasn't quoted 15. I just threw out a number to prompt you to oh, give, well, give me one back. Oh, that was pretty no, good. No, just, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Well, yeah, actually, I thought market was 20 from what I had heard. So then I just wanted to say one that was maybe low to get to get. Uh, that, that, to say tw- 20, is, 20 is still market rate. It's it's on the lower end of the of the market for sure. Like if you if you've got a good, reputable, solid person at 20, I would, you know, that you trust. Reviews are great. You, you love their track record you interviewed, I, I would pull the trigger. Um, it's gonna be hard to find somebody who's, you know, gonna undercut that much more, who's not either too small or too, you know, not not have the uh, capabilities to perform. Nice, yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I still got a lot more questions, but I also wanna talk about TechFester. So I think, is there anything that, uh, bef- maybe before we talk about TechFester that you really wanna hit, you know, uh, reviews, who's actually on the listing? I mean, just anything that comes to mind, otherwise let's just chat about TechFester. Yeah, no, man. Um, I mean, there's there's so many great resources out there. So if you need help, like building your listing or what to look like or doing professional photos, um, what's great is it's been proven out so many times that there's so many great places um, like anything, you know, hey, I can't figure out how to screw this thing in or put it together. Like, ah, I just YouTube it. Um, so a lot of things like, hey, how do I build my listing or what's the best description? There's so many different YouTube videos. You'll get plenty of ideas and help. So, you know, with a lot of those nuances that, that you know, we, we didn't touch on, that's that's really where I would, you know, guide people towards. All right. Nice. Yeah. And then, uh, or any other podcast Taylor's been on, maybe he covered it in that, yeah, you know, check them out on, uh, but yeah, nice. Well then, yeah. Tell us about, about TechFester then. Yeah. So, I mean, we looked around the marketplace and, you know, outside of buying your own and operating it, which again, you're signing up for a operational hospitality business when you get a short term rental. Um, is how do you bring that opportunity to people to actually invest in? So what we set up is a you know passive investment so people can you know get exposure to this asset class, all the great things that come with it, the yields, the the stays, the opportunity, um, but not have to do any of the work. So you know our team does everything from acquiring, renovating, designing, furnishing, and, and actually operating the asset itself, so that it is completely passive for investors. So for us. Um, it's just a way to bring, you know, that opportunity to the masses and allow people to invest in a diversified portfolio. Um, so again, you know, we've got over 120 different assets that we bought in the last 19 months, and those are spread out throughout 10 different markets. So, you know, you get diversification, um, you get that passive opportunity, but you do get exposure within your personal investments to that asset class. And it's, it's set up as a fund, which that's where the diversification and exposure to the, all the deals comes from and then are you guys planning on just having one huge fund that's going to be open for a few years or what are you going to how is it going to work a series of funds or what's the the game plan yeah great question so we're we're actually in our second fund right now so so we're doing so last year 2022 was our first fund and then we opened up february of 2023 uh, we opened up our second fund and that'll close here in december um so here in two months from from the recording of this um and then fund three is going to open up next year so for us we'll, we'll probably have you know somewhere around five or six total funds um for now we plan on just keeping them open for the calendar year um you know if there's an opportunity to extend uh, a fund longer 15 18 months uh, for whatever reason we, we would do that um, but for right now, our game plan has just been, you know, open it up for the calendar year, um, raise the assets that are, you know, purchased within that fund will, will be, you know, taken care of, distributed to those, you know, investors within that fund. So, yeah, we're currently in our second fund uh, as we speak today. And investors, they're getting in terms of for tax purposes, uh, they're getting a, a K-1 and then are able to share in the depreciation you guys are taking and other tax benefits or how does that work? 
Yeah, certainly. Um, issue to K1, um, actually really great. We actually um, pass 100% of the available depreciation over to the investors. So all these single family homes, you know, we'll order cost eggs, um, you, know, depre- you know, take the um, appropriate depreciation that we can. And then we'll pass that on to investors. Um, so they're, you know, getting that on their K1. Um, so it's really great tax advantage income. Um, and, you know, if they can use those additional paper losses and consult their CPA, then then those are always good things too. Yeah. Nice. And then roughly what, uh, what sort of returns do you guys project for, for the fund or for individual deals? How do you guys look at the returns? Yeah. You know, we're, we're always targeting with anything we acquire, you know, double digit returns, um, you know, from that once we get it up and stabilized, um, you know, that's, that's really where we want to be is, you know, double digit yield. Obviously if you just launch a property, it's only been live for three months. Um, you know, the, the return might be, you know, single digits and then it's going to build itself up once it's got eight, nine, 10 months of, you know, rental history and, and it's actually quote unquote stabilized. It's got enough booking lead time. It's got reviews built up. Um, so for us, you know, we want to kind of always deliver, you know, double digits if we can. Obviously, broader economy, if, you know, rates stay high, you know, if, if we dip into the, you know, mid eights or the nines, um, you know, then that's that's where it'll be. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, dip down in the eights or, you know, get up there and flirt with 12. So we kind of always, you know, look at that eight to 12, you know, net return um, on an annualized basis is really where we ultimately want to be and are, and are currently, you know, sitting in that pocket as we speak. On a, on a cash on cash basis, you're talking. Right. Correct. Yeah. And then what, how do you guys finance the properties and what's like the leverage point? Yeah, no. So we do, um, all individual, um, loans for the property. Nothing's cross collateralized. Um, so, um, I, I know that sounds wild, but, uh, yeah, you know, gotta, gotta sign 121 docs uh, yeah. or whatever that might be. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we, we'll use, um, you know, some form of leverage. We're, we're kind of um, coming in right now, somewhere between 72 and 74 LTV. And that's our going in on paper. And, and so what I mean by that is these properties, we put in new flooring, we add in fire pit, hot tub, paint, you know, new kitchen. Um, but because of the loans, you know, there's typically a prepay penalty in, you know, year of one or years one, two, three. So it doesn't make sense to refi. So our actual value add, we, we, we might be at 60 LTV when you look at the actual property itself, but on paper and going in, it's, it's going to be somewhere between that 72, 74. Um, you know, but for us, we, we have that great advantage to be able to use that leverage is because our DSCR, it floats right now between 2.8 and 3.1. So, you know, I know in traditional commercial real estate, people might consider that high leverage, but, you know, we just look at, you know, our DSCR being so high that, you know, it's, it's really an inappropriate spot in our opinion. Um, all of our debts fixed for 10 or 30 years. Um, I know a lot of multifamily guys got in trouble for taking, you know, very short term fixed uh, floating rate debt. And um, we, we just didn't want to dabble in that. You know, of course, it's cheaper. Of course, we could have juiced returns to our investors. How do we take it on cheaper debt? But, you know, to us, you know, we don't want to be forced to refi. These are great you know, ATM machines spitting off cash every quarter that we can pay to our, to our investors. You know, we want to sell when the time's right. We don't want to be forced sellers um, or have to take action on this, these piece of real estates um, that we own. So for us, all of our debts fixed for either 10 or 30 years, which is, you know, really advantageous for us and gives us the opportunity to sell at the right time. And what, uh, what are rates like today? I mean, are, it's, I mean, I know they'll, be, they'll feel high, but this, I mean, just for a scale, like where, what are we borrowing at right now? Um, right, right now, last 30 days, depending on leverage, um, and, and the state that it's in, you know, we're, we're closing anywhere from uh 7.75 to eight and a quarter. Um, that's, that's kind of been the last 30 days. Um, you know, again, depending on leverage and depending on uh, what state it's in. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's roughly only about 1% higher than tra- where like traditional multifamily loans are right now. 
you know, depending on same thing, what, what program you're in, what leverage point, you know, and that's anywhere from mid sixes to 7%. And I mean, uh, so not, you know, not, not that different when you factor in, I mean, how much, um, how high your debt, uh, you know, debt service coverage ratios are like that's where you're generating a lot of cash. If that's where you're, where you're at, yeah. that's, that's exciting. Well, nice. And then what markets are you guys in? Um, so we're spread across. Um, we're in Arizona, Missouri, Illinois, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York. And then we're tracking about four or five other states, like pretty intimately. So when we look at the data, um, you know, if we're going to consider to go into a market, you know, we're just not going to go there and buy one. Um, there's just too much legwork and too much that goes into, you know, setting up infrastructure and, and, and running these things. So, um, you know, we're going to track a market for 30 to 90 days and really study it, make sure, okay, is it sustainable? How's inventory? You know, the returns could look amazing in, you know, whatever, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, just pick a random city here. Um, but if there's no inventory, if there's one four bedroom house that hits the market every month, you know, it's going to be really hard to, to go acquire, you know, six, 12 or so properties. So you can have some sort of density and, and get, you know, operational efficiency. Um, so for us, you know, yes, you want to find opportunities with good returns, but we also want to find density. So that's kind of a big factor in, in places that we maybe won't go that could be good for an individual buyer. So people think like, oh, you guys just buy everywhere. And it's like, no, not really. There's probably actually great deals that we pass on that if you were, you know, Johnny one-off investor, you could go buy that and get, you know, nice, you know, teen level returns, uh, you know, on your, on your investment. But we just know inventory is too constrained or we won't be able to get um, enough density. So we're just going to pass on that market as a whole. Yeah, that that makes sense, and that also when you, you were naming states, but are you guys really more focused on like sub, you know, sub markets? Like you said, Illinois. I mean, I, I'm assuming you don't, we won't just buy anything in Illinois. So, like, how do you? No, no, we're in a couple of vacation markets uh, outside of Chicago, and then like in Florida, we're in like five or six different like you know coastal cities. Um, you know, Arizona, we're in Phoenix, Scottsdale, so that little you know kind of you know blended metro. Um, so yeah, some states it's, you know, maybe one or two sub markets, some it's, you know, four or five sub markets per se. Um, you know, so it's really just depends on the state and the density and the opportunity within each of those, um, you know, places. Okay. Nice. Well, cool. Yeah. I appreciate it, Taylor. This was great. Let's just leave it there. So I think how can, uh, listeners, viewers, how can they get in touch with you if they want to see more of what you're doing or learn about TechVestor? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I, I try to stay very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. So, you know, at Mr. Jones, STRs on Twitter, um, you know, at Taylor Jones on LinkedIn. Uh, you can go to techfester.com if you're interested in, you know, learning more about the investment itself, taking a look at the numbers, seeing the data, historical returns, et cetera. Um, you know, we have a, a, you know, book a call so that they can book a, you know, call with anybody from our investor relations team. Um, and they're happy to go over any questions that, a, you know, prospective investor might have. So um, feel free to go over to techfester.com and, you know, we'll, uh, you know, let you see anything you want to see. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Taylor. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Drew. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. 
Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.